is Tuesday time. It's Tuesday time, and Tuesday time is the time when we record a show. Now, nice. listen, it's not the time always when I upload the show. Listen, jerks. Listen. listen. No, listen to Hunter. No, Oh, sorry. Listen to me. I, this is called vamping. Um, it's a thing you do when you the other person on the show doesn't know what to say. You just kind of say what's on the top of your head. It's that which never radio happens magic. to us because now no. we uh because we're good at this. We're so bright and alert from yeah. taking F and X fit supplements. <laughs> <laughs> we also don't have full time jobs that pay the here's bills. The, here's the problem: we uh-huh. haven't gotten dropped from our sponsor yet, and it is literally Surprising. burning a hole in my mind. I'm like, did they not hear last week's episode? They didn't. They did I guess though. not. So it's it's you guys all did a great job of being quiet. Um, right. At any rate, yes, it is Tuesday. That is the time when we say, but you might not hear Carl pulling the world's uh, most mobile podcast recorded yeah. until recently in the cab of a moving car. It's where me and my brother Hunter talk about politics, religion, philosophy, science, mathematics, biologies, and some other stuff. Uh, or organic chemistry let me get the list out it's basically a podcast that if you want to get fired from your startup job you, you should can play you should to out us. loud on your desk yeah yeah that's what of course it's all that's, about. that's most podcasts though actually because who in the world in a startup is listening to their podcast out loud at their combined desk space I guess you're right. Like, I guess, but instead of being like, um, Kevin, could we, um, talk to you, um, for a moment? It Uh would be more like, you have to leave right now because you've transgressed each (laughs) of the startup principles. For one, you were very mean sometimes. And also, number two, you Uh didn't agree with me. Oh, Um, whoa. I didn't realize that, bro. Dude, startups, startups are rough. Um. Right. My buddy I remember was, all the startups we've been a part of. My buddy was uh, interviewing for for kind of a smaller company, right? Uh, and the guy started out the interview by uh, giving his pronouns and asking for my friends, no. and he's like, "Oh, the uh, uh, standard selection, please." The standard selection. I, I would like the default setting pronouns. I don't. If you don't I don't know. Mind. Do you have vanilla and chocolate pronouns? Because I'm really not going to get weirder than that, bro. Well, see, Hunter, that's racist. And it's fun that you should bring that up because we're going to have a show uh, less focused on politics today in a certain sense, but still very focused on politics in a certain sense. Because everything is politics. Everything is politics. Well, the great Andrew Breitbart once said, once made famous, I should say, Mm -hmm. uh, politics is downstream of culture. And culture is governed by... The Hollywood psychology, <laughs> right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody, everybody on the uh, the liberal Twitter sphere, just like I know, Hollywood was a dog whistle for Jews. Well, um, of course. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it's, I don't know why you're listening to the show if you can't read those dog whistles. I <laughs> you mean. can't read between the dog whistle. <laughs> People are so dumb. But hear between the whistles. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> between two whistles, it'll That's be a Zach Galifianakis. Book. Style interview, interview show. 
Um, okay. That we can't tell, we cannot tell you who hosts it. <laughs> and just every thirty seconds, they break the fourth wall and wink at the camera. Exactly. Like, if you know what I'm saying. If you know, oh, man. Okay. The, the back on target. Yeah. Stay on target, or whatever I said last week that was funny. I think I think it was stay on target. Um, yeah, because that's what's in the movie, Christopher. Yes, I would Hunter, expect I know that. The movie. Okay, I know the Star Wars. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're gonna focus more on on some psych psychology and some historical yeah. psychology and how that's playing into the body politic and psychology at large. But let's put a pin in that for a second because Hunter, what a pins. weird week. What a weird news cycle. We have to do some yeah. rapid fire just so people know what the correct opinions are on a bunch okay. of different topics. Mm-hmm. We have to do some rapid fire news, top 40 hits. Um, so let's get started. Okay. I've got the first one cuties. Here's the thing. Uh Oh, um, it's you don't have to make a snuff film to explain that murder's bad. Yep. That's yep. this is good, this is the exactly right take. That's as good as you. That's what you need. I think that the spirit of the movie, like the message, is a decent message. They kind of left it till the very end, and then had thirty seconds of like, oh yeah, all that stuff was bad. So I'm right. not totally convinced that that's what they were going for. But if you take it at face value, that's what you would see. But then you didn't have to have little girls gyrating themselves and prepubescently. Um, mm-hmm. gripping their own pudenda. It was not necessary. It's disgusting. And Netflix, on the other... Netflix does not get the same benefit that the director had. Netflix put out a super graphic, disgusting poster right. specifically designed to rake in pedophiles, and it's nasty, and it uh, infuriates me, and that's the, all we have to say about that. It's smut by any other name. And it, yeah. if you're defending it by saying it's an art house film, you are... Probably a Hollywood critic because currently it's getting absolutely <laughs> panned by user reviews because it seems that the the um, population at large still has a certain level of disgust for child pornography unless you're a, a leftist wackadoo on Twitter or a movie critic. Yeah, and, and just a, one quick point on that: I tweeted this out the other day. I think maybe it was earlier today from the Carl Pulling Twitter. But mm-hmm. I'm so tired of people that play children's games and perform make-believe for a living telling me about how I'm disconnected from reality. I'm so, like, artists and athletes are the biggest losers in our entire culture. They're the least informed, they're the least grounded, and I'm so sick of having them tell me I'm immoral and right. that the reason that they like kitty porn is because they're evolved and I don't like it because I'm some kind of rube. Yeah. Um, they, <laughs> they leave to, they live an extremely charmed life where none of, they never have to have anything they believe challenged because everybody in the room is going, Oh no, no, that's great. That's real good. You know, I love that. And unlike CEOs who experience the same phenomenon, they're loved and admired by everyone. And so, right. you know, you can, you can really get high on your own supply. there's another alternate reality where you are like the smoothest like like funky black guy (laughs) and you deliver the same exact lines but in Uh like the best cadence oh man i'm really happy with the one where i don't i think it adds supply Uh, yeah like that our show would just be so good if we had like a little black exploitation element in it like that wow and if you think well, we that that's a Candace racist Owens. thing, you don't know, like, go look, read one book. Um, let, let me call Candace real quick. 
I'll just give her a ring. I have her number. <laughs> I would interview Candace in a heartbeat. <laughs> I yeah, think we yeah. disagree on a lot of stuff, but I would interview her in a heartbeat. Right, um, same. All right, Hunter, do you have any rapid-fire news items? Bob Woodward. Yeah. All right, go yeah. for it. Take the, So just so that everybody knows this show is fair and balanced, Fox News or MSNBC or whatever the heck that show that says that, it's Fox News. Um, Bob Woodward launched this bombshell basically saying that Trump um, told him over the phone that the coronavirus was very, very, very bad and also airborne before or while he was telling the general population that don't worry about it. It's not as bad as the flu and it's definitely, definitely not airborne. Please don't look at my notes. It's not airborne. Why are you reaching for my notes? (laughs) Um, So this is once again, Trump town foolery, um, which I don't say it in that way to belittle it or make light of it. I say that in a way that it's expected at this point that this is who Trump is. Yeah. Um, it's clear that even Bob Woodward didn't really believe Trump at the time when he was saying this. Mm-hmm. It's clear that Dr. Fauci, you know, has kind of come out and said some things regarding this. Um, here, here's my take on it. Trump did a bad job with the coronavirus. The end. And to carry water to say otherwise is a little bit ridiculous. Um, there were a lot of people who got this wrong and a lot of people who didn't know what was coming and a lot of people who didn't do a good job with this. Um, he's the man at the top, you know, yeah. and, and the buck stops with him. And there's no, there's here's, here's where I think you can kind of like, I'm not voting. Well, I don't know what I'm doing when it, when it comes to voting for the president in this upcoming election, but I will say this. You know, if you wanted to have the voting analysis of this is like, who should you vote for, Biden or Trump? Well, coronavirus is what it is. There's that. And then the other piece of that is um, who's going to help the economy rebound faster, Trump or Biden? You know, that should be an easy one. That should be an easy that should be an easy answer. And if that's the line you're voting on, then, you know, Trump's your guy. If it's not the line you're voting on, then you've got other decisions to make. But I'm just kind of wanting to say that. To me, this is bad. This is not good. This is, he should never, ever, 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 ever do an interview ever again for the rest of his life. He um, would be a hundred points ahead if he would shut up. If he would just literally sew his mouth together. Um, but I said that about the president of the United States. That's probably a threat. NSA, I don't live here, wherever you think <laughs> it is. <laughs> this is a fake IP address. I'll this say a, one, yeah. one little bumper on the end of that. I think sure, Trump's rhetoric about the coronavirus was bad. I uh-huh. think generally, he like tactically, he handled it decently. I mean, sure. you have pretty much every governor coming out and saying that they got the supplies they needed. They got them on time. The federal He was for travel bans before others. Alacrity. Yeah, and, and while he was saying these things, by the way, it was contemporaneous when Joe Biden was calling his Chinese travel ban racist, and Nancy Pelosi was partying down in Chinatown without a mask. So I take everything with a little grain of salt. But you're totally yeah. right that his rhetoric around the around the uh, China virus, China, was subpar as yeah. per our usual arrangement. Yeah, and I mean, he just he gets everything wrong in interviews. So yeah. just stop putting him in interviews, especially with people who don't care like Bob Woodward necessarily about saying facts. Except so. for this time, he actually got stuff right before like other people got it right. So maybe Fair. we're wrong, and he's just an oracle. And oh. we should start rubbing his belly and uh, throwing coins into a small pond that we build in front of him for guidance. Okay. Um, yeah. 
you know, alternate takes, bad. fair and balanced. Yeah. Fair uh, and balanced. Okay, uh, <laughs> I've got, I've got another one, and this one right. really burns my backside. Well, of course, let me do the little violence rundown. We had two oh cops God. assassinated in um, horrendous story. In L.A., well, they attempted to assassinate them in Compton. There's Mm -hmm. literally no excuse for this. There will be rioting anyway. And then BLM and Antifa shows up at the hospital asking to, quote, visit and saying that they hope that they die. I did tweet about this because I just found it so, so offensive. Yeah. And then the second, like, there's, you don't have to, you don't have to analyze that any further. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I will reiterate, BLM, Antifa, these people... These people don't care about black people. They don't care about white people. They don't care about people. They care about a narrative. They're a terrorist organization, and they will inflict political violence when they can. Um, Please listen to the show. No further further analysis necessary. Uh, Then there was another police shooting, and this is like the most – it's – Oh, this Sad. is the 27-year-old who ran at the police with a knife? Yeah, in, uh, yeah. in, in Rochester, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And he's literally, he, the cop shows up, he's like, hi there, how can I help? And before he can get the words out of his mouth, a guy runs out of the building, charging the cop, holding a knife over his head, like some type of banshee. Uh, he he honestly looks like one of the marauders from Borderlands. Like he is crazed, <laughs> and the cop shoots him. And then again, they they start their attempts to retreat. Correct. He he, he starts running away. He shoots yeah. behind him while running away because this guy was. Uh, it looked like he was gaining on him. Okay. Um, so anyway, plus I've played Call of Duty. I know how effective a throwing knife can be. Um, anyhow. Yeah it's it's just ridiculous and then they started rioting in pennsylvania and then in like the middle of the night of riots Mm -hmm. the body cam footage comes out and all the all the rioters are looking down at their phone literally a bunch of them left like wait oh crap (laughs) what are we doing here Mm -hmm. because it's this one's so undeniable no further analysis necessary uh am i soap or mctavish in our call of duty Modern Warfare 2. Wait, Soap and McTavish are the same guy. I'm not good at this game. <laughs> You're Soap and I'm Ghost. Oh, okay. That's how it goes. Is that because Soap doesn't talk? No, Soap talks... Oh my gosh. Soap, I'm bad at this game. <laughs> soap is the one that wears the cowboy hat. Kind no. Of, like the, no, no, the no, no, safari no. hat kind of thing. S- soap's the dude who pulls the knife out of his chest and throws it at the yeah, end. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, but he don't wear no cowboy hat. That's, yeah, oh, that's got, Price. That's Price. Oh, you're right. Yeah, you're we're right. really bad at Call of Duty. Okay, but I still think your price. Yeah, I agree. It's it's mainly like my masculine like aura. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, no. Do we have any more quick quick hit news topics? Nah, I've you got, got. I've got one uh, more. Well, freaking say it then. Okay, last one. Joe Biden. This isn't and a Gavin show Newsom. about you being quiet, Chris. <laughs> Joe Biden and Gavin Newsom ignore. Um, ignore all the science while saying they love science. It drives me up a wall. They are, you know, Gavin Newsom is making a speech out in front of uh, the barren wasteland used to be known as California. Um, It used Mm -hmm. to be full of whiskey, women, and gold, and now it's full of hobo piss, tears, and fire. And they, in in no particular order, mind you, um, (laughs) And if you had to do a fourth and a fifth, it would be it'd be human excrement outside of Nancy Pelosi's house. Funny story and uh, used needles. So anyway, he does a, a presser outside of a like burning 
forest saying that, guys, can't you see behind me? Uh, uh, climate change is real. And it's like, mm, okay. Then he meets with Trump and he's like, yeah, well, we did a terrible job at, at our, our forest maintenance practices and our forestry practices. We should have had control burns, you know. Um, in fact, yeah. there was an environmental protection group that came out and said that there would, they would have to burn something like 20 million acres of, or square right. miles, I can't remember, of forest to make the, the California forest sustainable and healthy again. It, it's, and it's specifically the policies of the EPA that are preventing people from doing this and, and local, local environmental mm. uh, agencies. Anyhow, then, uh, then Biden? Biden comes out along and starts talking about, you know, the, our, the Midwest is ravaged by tornadoes. There's hurricanes hitting the coast. We've got mm-hmm. fires in the West. He's like, uh, what, what will be left of America if we allow four more years of a climate denier to be in the White House? And then he's like, but I believe in the science. Okay, um, Joe, you... Come in, come, come, come in, come in, Joe. Demented come old squirrel. So, okay. If you think that you like science and four years causes any kind of noticeable effect for climate change, you are a complete idiot. You know less about science than I have forgotten. And the (laughs) idea that you're going to lecture me on, on what science is, especially around climate change is Mm -hmm. absolutely insane. Shapiro puts it best. He says that they, are pretending like they can raise their hands to the winds and say science is real and that the storms will quiet in some kind of paganistic fervor. It's absolutely insane. This guy doesn't know how to zip his pants or tie his shoes. He's only an expert in wetting himself, much less uh, any type of quantum mechanics. And yet he's telling me that four years causes a noticeable effect in climate change. In the past 100 years, there's been about a 1.5 to 3 degree increase in temperature in California. You're telling me that 3 degrees, 3 degrees was all it took to start wildfires and had nothing to do with the lack of forestation and the extinguishing of naturally occurring forest fires for literally decades by a completely blue legislature. And you're going to lecture me on the science okay joe i i'm sorry but stay in your lane you are good at two things and that's accidentally being racist and proving the leak proof effectiveness of depends and i don't need you to tell me one more time about how much you love science because you wouldn't know science if it picked up a baseball bat and beat you the other half to death with it so why don't you why don't you do what you're good at which is hiding out in the basement and hoping Trump steps on each available rake and you leave science to those of us who still have synapses you absolute incomprehensible buffoon I keep wondering during those rants <laughs> if I should make faces at you to just try to throw you off <laughs> but Eventually, those rants are going to pay for my bacon. <laughs> it's so it's so, a, I got so viscerally annoyed today watching him <laughs> be like, but I love science, and what's going to happen if there's four more years of climate change? And I'm like, perceptibly, <laughs> nothing. 
nothing right. <laughs> like, like oh, actually nothing it's so frustrating and the yeah. but they're the party of science hunter um oh i forgot about that that's right yeah um <clears throat> fourteen thousand genders and uh fetuses aren't human beings i, remember I was now. seven different gender- genders during that rant that's how scientific <laughs> i am that's actually um, a fact all um, right I, okay i hit some with my car today what it's time for roadkill oh okay <laughs> There you go. You really got me. I, I can to, tell. Okay, I need to let you read the roadkill while my blood pressure settles. Yeah, so, all right. Get, strap in. Here we go. Um, this comes from a professor uh, who is the uh, author of Boundaries of, oh, hold on. Twitter's telling me I can't look at it anymore today. Thank you, Siri, for that criticism. Uh, Wait, you have like a protection on so you don't doom scroll yeah. infinitely. Yeah, dude. That's super smart. I need yeah. to do that. It's super good. I'm ignoring it today for the show and for us. Okay. For the fans. For the fans. Um, so I just wanted to talk about this book called Boundaries of Love. Um, and I just gotta read I just gotta read this to you. So this is a podcast uh, called Race Talk. Um, I'm not sure who, uh, I'm assuming puts, they don't review like their favorite 5Ks and half marathons. Uh, yeah, they do. That's exactly what it's about. <laughs> um, this episode is called interracial marriage and the meaning of race. So basically race talk is this podcast where they talk about things that have to do with race and I just need you to listen to this tweet from the professor who wrote this book called Boundaries in Love. So here it comes. In this podcast, I discuss how seeing interracial marriage as a way to end racial inequality has been misguided and has actually reproduced white supremacy in both the United States and Brazil. So that's a human being. Wait, (laughs) what? Yeah. So I don't know if you know this, Christopher, but like interracial marriage is violence and apparently... It actually furthers the cause of white supremacy. So is this is this like playing boundaries into the of idea love. that bound? Well, apparently we've put some big boundaries on it. Here. Some, no, the conservatives are like, how about not horses and children? And now the left is like, but also not black people. Um, yeah, because is this like yeah. related to the idea that like marriage is anti-feminist and it's ownership, and then if you marry a black girl, you're like owning a black girl. Like, what? How do you get to that conclusion? I. I didn't read it because Good it's don't. not funny if I find out and I need it to be funny for the show. So like that, that's kind of what I'm working from here. Chris is, you know, now you're ruining it because now people <laughs> realize I'm just doing this for the laughs at this point. And nothing's funny anymore. Oh. Nothing's funny anymore. Chris, for you're ruining it or it's the protesters think, uh, or the rioters excuse or me i think the ones. person that said that black people and white people shouldn't get Can't married, get married because it. it's insane dude like the fact that it the fact that like my uh first grade teacher was a part of an interracial marriage i hung out with her kids mm-hmm. uh, we went to church together they were the best i loved them so much their relationship did not further white supremacy end of discussion yeah like that's that's it for me. 
Um, go pick up Boundaries of Love at your local bookstore. <laughs> go pick it up and then put it back down, preferably in a different section. Or um, upside down or <laughs> so just slightly cockeyed. I'll tell, I'll tell a quick story. So yeah, go ahead. I... I oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was this? This is my my interracial dating story. So mm-hmm. I, I was dating a black girl. This is um, many years ago, um, and she and I were hanging out one afternoon, and we decided to go to a bar and grill in my local area um, that she wanted to go to. And I said, oh, okay, we can go there. And she's like, have you ever been? I was like, no. And she's like, well, you live right next to it. Why not? I was like, well, it's kind of like just not, it's not like really a bar for for me. <laughs> she was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I was like, well, it's kind of like I, I've never seen a white person in there, actually. And so I said, it's not like I don't won't go. I just like never, never really crossed my mind. And she's like, oh. I don't want to go. And I was like, well, now we have to go. I don't know what now that we, means, but I'm now we have to go. ready to find out. So we go in and we get seated in this section, right? And uh, I'm holding her hand across the table. And this the, the, a waitress starts walking up to our table. And she's got this huge smile on, you know. I truly was the only white person in the establishment. She has this huge smile on. And she kind of rounds the corner. And she's behind this girl I was seeing at the time. And... Uh, I'm holding her hand across the table. And when she mm-hmm. sees that we're holding hands, her entire, her smile drops. She like completely wigs out and right. she just turns around and walks away. And well, so that's because we, you were, that's because she, you were both furthering white supremacy. She might I mean, have written obvious. boundaries of love. <laughs> and I was crossing <laughs> some boundaries. So anyway, no doubt. so anyway, I am sitting there and I was like, for sure. What I think just happened didn't just happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, Anyhow, I wait for a little while, and it's probably about 10 minutes. She's like, I wonder where our, the server is. And I was like, yeah, me too. I also wonder that. <laughs> I also <laughs> am wondering the same thing. And so I flag down another server, and she uh-huh. sees me, and she's like, her face bright, lights up, and she's got this big, bright smile. And then she realized because this server had been walking back and forth past us, and she realizes, she I guess, been served? what kind of section we were in and uh. what how long she'd been walking past us. We didn't have any drinks on the table. All of these things started adding up and her face, it wasn't like disgust like the other one. It was horror. And she walks Mm. up and she goes, she goes, have you been served? And I just smiled at her real big because now I know. And I was like, I was like, no, we haven't. She's like, oh my God, give me just one second. And anyway, she starts walking back to the kitchen. As she's walking to the kitchen, the other, the original waitress yep, walks yep, yep. out, and they get into the biggest fight right there. Seriously, not a physical altercation, but they are, they yelling, are at each other? yelling at each other. And eventually, wow. the one who came and actually spoke with us drug her back into the kitchen, like literally grabbed her arm and drug her back into the kitchen. And they continued their fight. And You're I'm just sitting there me. looking at the girl, and I was like, I think we're not being served because we're an interracial couple. And she was like. No. And I was like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what's happening. She's like, I told you we shouldn't come here. And I was that's like, hysterical. we had to. So anyway, we had to. long story short, the second waitress comes back out to our table mm-hmm. and she looks at me and she goes, I'm so sorry about that. And I was like, oh, don't worry about it. No big deal. And she's like, would you guys mind switching sections? And I was like, are you wow. serious? Wow. I, I was fine. You know, uh, yeah. I was like, uh, I mean, sh- 
really? Okay, no problem. So we get up and we switch sections. And yep. while we're walking to the new table, I just lean down to this this girl and I go, this never would have happened at Chili's. And <laughs> <laughs> that's a story about how I broke three ribs at an all-black bar. <laughs> Anyhow. She just hates you. Yeah. I always think that. That it, it was just such a bizarre story. I thought it was really funny. No, but, uh, it's a good story. And, you know, that's roadkill for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that's roadkill. Yeah, nothing to do with that. Love whoever you want. Doesn't matter who. Just be sweet, you know? But don't cross the boundaries of love. <laughs> don't cross the boundaries of love. Stay in your... I can't say it because it's just so evil. I literally can't say it. It's just the worst thing ever. Like, how can people think that, Chris? Anyway. I don't know. Well, I actually have a pretty good idea of how it, they get started. Oh, really? And Do it brings tell. us to today's topic. <gasps> Look you know? at that. Look at that uh, transition. Do you want to know something funny I heard? No. Apparently, the guy who invented the Segway <laughs> died by driving a Segway off of a cliff. I that, haven't that verified makes it, but apparently that's true. That, there's video evidence for it, I'm sure. Which, you if know? so, I mean, you get what? what's coming to you. <laughs> you get um, what's... That's awful. So today we're going to talk about critical theory, and, and more specifically critical race theory. And we want to come at it from a couple of different angles. Yeah. Uh, I think we want to start by talking a little bit about maybe the origins of critical theory and how that's morphed to critical race theory, how it started in... Uh, Germany and France mm-hmm. and was exported over to America, the Americas and then do a little bit of analysis about how that's affecting us today. Yeah. Uh, because as you guys might know, well, Hunter, you, you tell them what was in the news this week about critical, critical race theory. Yeah. I think it might be a little bit more last week, but, but um, president Trump removed funding for critical race theory in like, uh, federal agencies, mm-hmm. um, which is fantastic news, as you will get to see. So we just thought, you know, if you're hearing critical race theory and you're like, oh, yeah, that's the bad thing. Why is it the bad thing? Or if you are hearing, you know, oh, he stopped funding critical race theory. Does he not care about diversity? Well, let, let's break it down. Let's really get into the weeds of what this thing is and what it means to not have funding for this uh, discipline, if you will. Absolutely. It's a great idea. Um, so critical theory, it is a, a philosophy that basically says that there is no way to objectively identify any fact pattern, that you have to take that fact pattern in context of the environment, both sociopolitical and physical that gave rise to that right. fact pattern. And mm-hmm. Therefore, there's uh, there's many many different ways to interpret a a limited set of data. That's before one. Before we before we go too far with this, we just need to do a little homework for people. There is something that's called critical theory, uh-huh. and there is something called critical race theory. Right. Okay. And so, critical theory is what Christopher just described. It's it's a theory that kind of governs how we analyze stuff. It has, I believe, Christopher, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It has a lot to do with the legal realm. Um, well, well, critical theory mm-hmm. got packaged in a couple of different sinister boxes, okay. shipped over the seas, and then at places like Yale and Harvard, it was used 
as a method of interpreting the law. So there is, there is a, a vast body of critical legal interpretation as right. well as CRT. Okay, and CRT, critical race theory, is essentially taking the idea of critical theory and then painting it with race, if you will, right? And making that an aspect of it. So we'll get more into the details as we move along, but I, I just want people to know that there are two things, and critical theory and CRT are not the same thing, even though they're closely related. Right, that's right. So, so... Uh, the second thing that critical critical theory kind of espouses is that the only way to to use this this varied interpretation of a fact pattern accurately is if you fold it into all disciplines of social science, economics, mm-hmm. uh, poli sci, and anthropology, education, all of these different. Uh, all of these different fields, because mm-hmm. it, it it was based on the fact the facts are a product of the of the environment and not the other way around. So right. everything that was wrought from that environment would have the trappings of a critical theory bent to them uh, mm-hmm. when applied. So we'll talk a little bit about the history and then I'm going to pitch to you Hunter to, to talk about some of the ways that we see it. So I'll try and get through this quickly. This is just your, your little historical primer. So back in the day, uh, it was, it was Kant actually that came up with the critique of political economy, which is part of where is part of where the name from critical theory comes from. And then of course that was, that was, um, wrapped in a bunch of the transcendental idealism of Kant. And mm-hmm. some of those ideas are picked up and consumed by Karl Marx. And it's so strange that this one little idea from Kant actually brings out like all these things he would have obviously disagreed with on their face. Right. But like it, it, yeah, it's like this one little sentence basically where he says, you know, that how can the person, how can the person really know anything essentially is like this line. I'm, 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 dumbing it down a bit but it's very strange to hear that Khan is the father of this or like the original idea begins with him and then we go straight to Marx like people should be scratching their heads at this point but it's true yeah I think I think it was a a bit of a bastard a bastardization of Kant's critique of pure reason he wasn't saying that pure reason wasn't worthwhile he was saying that interpretations matter not that every interpretation matters the same I think that's a fair read and so anyway, Marx comes along, he writes Das Kapital, pulling from some of these transcendental idealism tactics and, and uh, this critique of pure reason, etc. So he comes up with Marxism. And the central tenet of Marxism, uh, for those who maybe haven't listened to some of our older episodes, goes something like this. What, the, the reason that the world is not a utopia is because the the laborers do not own their own labor because there's a separation of the means of production and the benefits of said production. And Mm -hmm. if we were able to aggregate the met the, the planning of the means of production in the hands of the worker, then we would usher in utopia. And this is, this is literally what um, Marx wrote and what Marx thought. And so, 
uh, he writes Das Kapital, it catches on in some places, namely uh, Hitler's Germany and uh, post, post-war Russia, as well as post-war China and um, some other places, some other spots here and there around the globe. At the latter half of the 20th century, it became so apparent, even to some of its initial supporters, uh, people like Jean-Paul Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir, that Marxism had killed so many people that it was unintelligent to be Marxist. And this is basically why, because they said, look, we got whatever we wanted in Germany and in Russia and China, we got the centralized planning part right. down, and yet it didn't lead to utopia and an well, ideal, we a transcendental ideal society. It led to tyranny and authoritarianism. So what happened? And even though some of these people were critical of Marx, all of them played into the central tenet of Marxist thinking. And, right. uh, and so they were like, it's no longer reasonable to be a Marxist, so what do we do? And as different philosophers were uh, were struggling with this point. Uh, a philosopher by the name of Horkheimer, Max Horkheimer, which is a great name, I hope I'm pronouncing it wrong, um, <laughs> is came up with this idea and coined the phrase critical theory. And he laid out the two principles that I just established. And the reason was because, because it was no longer reasonable to be Marxist because it gave rise to, to national socialism and, and uh, strict authoritarianism, he realized that there was a flaw in Marx's thinking, and it wasn't that individuals should be free. It was that there's something else required in the organization of capital to usher in the utopia. So he writes um, a critique of political economy and... Uh, some other books, and he works with uh, Jürgen Habermas uh, specifically, and they kind of put together this idea of critical theory, which Habermas uh, builds upon into a critical social theory, um, which is kind of kind of that that German idealism sect of of the ideology that turned into some of the critical theory in the West that led to certain legal interpretations, etc. However, mm-hmm. uh, this is also where you get ideas such as postmodernism, because they took this idea that you have right. to look in the context to find what the actual fact pattern means. And Habermas and Horkheimer basically took that and said, well, there's actually an infinite number of ways to interpret reality, which is right. effectively the definition of postmodernism, mm-hmm. and and then that, that you shouldn't privilege anyone over the other. Right. Which, Derrida's deconstructionism, like, absolutely. all this is connected. Yeah. Well, it is. It is literally, because um, mm-hmm. Derrida had an honorary degree from the Frankfurt School, and, and both Horkheimer and Habermas were involved at the Frankfurt School, which was this mm. uh, this college that attracted and solidified and codified a lot of the thinking that was being done by these philosophers and that's really where they came up with the this plan you know the revivification of marxism where we instead of instead of um 
put pitting the proletariat against the bourgeois. We pit the oppressor against the oppressed. And the right. way that you make that jump, you know, we've talked because we've talked about that before. How postmodernism and neo-Marxism go hand in hand, but mm-hmm. there's this there's this incompatibility with the two, where postmodern postmodernism rejects grand narrative and and neo-marxism is, is, a, grand is a grand narrative how do you bridge the gap well, one of the ways they bridge the gap is they say since there is no meaning since nothing matters anymore right. since facts don't matter anymore we've turned narrative our back on right we've turned our back on objectivism which mm-hmm. was very popular in germany at the time then we have to rewrite the battle lines and the way you rewrite the battle lines is you use critical theory saying that you know, in America, for instance, because black people at this point were slaves in the past, they live in this milieu of slavery. And so you can't just determine that somebody is poor because they got arrested and went to jail. They are poor because they were besought upon by their, it's effectively an argument from essentialism that somebody's skin color and uh, eye color and creed, etc. these essentialist elements are part of the environment from which their fact pattern is properly derived. So critical Mm -hmm. theory is this funny sleight of hand that bridges the gap between grand narrative and destruction of all grand narratives. So, and, and Derrida, of course, with his deconstructionism is involved, Foucault is involved. And these were the philosophers and, and professors who started pumping this thought process into Harvard and Yale and via those gateways into the rest of the West. And right. now you see critical theory and, and it's, uh, it's inept cousin critical race theory invading colleges today. So I've talked yeah. a lot of, that's, that's a basic history of the, the life cycle of the psychology as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Hunter, tell us tell us where we are now and how we see where, where's the evidence that this has infected our institutions. Yeah. So, the issue with this is critical race theory. I think when you start talking about it, it starts to not make a lot of sense, um, just based on some of its points. However, you start looking at the effects that critical race theory has had and the impacts it has made in the culture are just like unmistakable. Right. Mm. And, and I think that's, I think that's a good point to say because we're really not trying in any way to say that this theory, you know, is anything less than what we're going to claim it is today. You know, it's, it is exactly this. And I think it's important for people to understand that because, um, when you see that and you see all the things that this theory has brought about in society, you really need to, it's extremely important for everyone to re-examine their ideologies. And this critical race theory is an ideology. And so let, let, let's, so the, I think, I think what you just said is super important, Hunter, uh, to mention, there's part of this that might sound like a weird right wing conspiracy theory. There's effectively nothing that I just said that any, liberal arts sociology psychology major would disagree with this right. is this is established factual ver- verifiable researchable fact patterns surrounding these theories and, and and so far what we've talked about with with our little bit of editorialization is 
very simply the facts about the life cycle of this this theory. So, mm-hmm. so critical race theory basically asserts it's it's a legal view uh, on the law, and it has gotten into other aspects of life as well as which will become apparent um, that racism itself is inherent in American society and can never be removed. And it affects all walks of life. It affects every single person and it will always forever be there. Um, And so this manifests in a couple of different ways. Uh, It manifests in economics. It manifests in politics. It manifests in how people are treated by the legal system. Um, it manifests in people going to stores and getting nasty looks from people, according to critical rate or CRT uh, professors and promoters, right? And so I spent a good bit of time today watching a video that kind of talked through some of these points. Uh, it's someone's actually PhD dissertation, I believe, um, for a class or a project for some class. And it's just an, an, an conglomerate of the ideas within within critical race theory. So just to kind of read some of the read some of these out to you and Christopher we can talk about these back and forth. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the first one is storytelling or what's known as counter storytelling or naming one's reality. So what this is saying is that it's effective for um this is you you can already hear the critical theory coming out in this a little bit if you've if you're paying attention to to this yeah. stuff. Um, this is basically saying that minority stories are critical for going back against, um, what would you call it? Just traditional American stories. The, right? well, they I think would call it the prevailing white narrative, right? And sure. This is, we could call it that. When you see somebody on, on a line or at your children's school saying, you know, only mm-hmm. the white names are the ones recorded in the history books and we need to tell stories about other names. There's no problem with that, but the the pitting against of those two stories is counter storytelling effectively. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think you're always allowed to tell your story. No, you know, everybody gets gets a right to tell your story. We get a right as, a, as human beings at large to interpret your story and see if it aligns to the facts, mm-hmm. right? And see if it aligns to morals and see if it aligns to anything like that. So this is kind of an interesting point because counter storytelling is obviously effective. The question that we always have to ask ourselves is, are the stories that people are telling us true, right? And if we're thinking from a critical theory perspective, there is no true story. There is my story, and I can use it to gain power over you, right? And so that's why this point comes here is because it, it, it's to say that. Now, I think this is true. Like hearing stories, I think um, – what's a good one? I think uh, Martin Luther King's story, you know, obviously, you know, influences people and gives people this different perspective. So obviously when these stories match reality, they're very, very, very effective. But just saying that like – speaking counter narratives is a way to win the war is a critical theory tactic. Right. Um, and and it, this should be obvious to anybody who has any kind of 
moral honesty, saying saying a story doesn't make it important or doesn't make it valid. I, mm. I mean, there's plenty of stories that are meaningless, and there's plenty of stories also that uh, are exceptions to norms that don't right. provide any useful insight to us. So, it but critical theory says that the story is important because it's being told, right. Um, so another thing that's important to know is, that, like we said, this is a legal theory. One of the things that this CRT attempts to do when it's interpreting legal law is to not only just use common law, right? And so like typically the way laws work in America or legal theories in America is you look at case law, you look at how things have been ruled in the past, you look at the current laws on the book, and you're able to make decisions based on law from that. Well, CRT does that. And it applies social science readings to laws as well, right? That's really scary because if you know anything about social science, it doesn't know that much. They're not hard sciences, right? Poly science, psychology, to some extent, psychology. There's parts of psychology that are hard and parts of psychology that are not hard, um, depending on where you're at in the body of work. Um, sociology, uh, this list of things, gender studies, things like that, they're not, they're not, I measured it, I recorded it, you measured it, you recorded it, we both got the same thing, it's a fact, right? That's not typically the way these studies work. So to bring that into the courtroom, right? to bring that kind of methodology into the courtroom is actually really terrifying. And I, I think that's pretty easy to see. Um, one of the other big things here I think that's really important to bring up is the fact that uh, it's white privilege. White privilege is a key tenet. Um, and I think everyone kind of understands that one pretty well. Uh, you know, white privilege is obviously invading our entire society. Um, yeah. The idea of white privilege, not that people with white privilege are invading the society. Um, there's not much to say there, you know, and it, it sees critical race theory actually sees like white privilege. It actually defines in a different way, which I think is a little bit more pernicious is white ownership which essentially means that being white allows you to own privilege to some extent, right? And so what that means is as a white person, you just get more benefits in society. And I would say that's true depending on where you look, right? And for example, if you're trying out for the NBA, you don't get a lot of privilege as a white person, right? And I think there's more ways to look at that. And I think there's a lot of history there too that that adds into that, but it is a factor of this is that and when you take into the idea that race can or racism can never be removed from American society, you get the idea that the white privilege also can never be removed from American society. Mm -hmm. So no matter how much society gives back to minorities, white people will always have privilege. Right. And right. I would say that there's a, the, the more recent outcropping of this is white fragility being added. Sure. Onto yeah. Uh, white privilege. So, so when people say I'm not privileged just because I'm white, they respond with, "No, you're fragile too. You're privileged and you're, uh, you know, fragile. And you're a baby. You can't hear that you're that right. you're privileged. And, and that's, you know, what what's the name of that? Uh, Robin D'Angelo. Yeah, good for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So one more, and then the two that you know. Yeah. Um, so one of the big things is a critique of liberalism and also, re, uh, revisionist looks at, um, 
what was done in the civil rights era. Um, basically, and this is kind of crazy. This, this one just seems insane to me. It says basically every legal thing that has been won as far as civil rights go is only because it benefits white people. Right. And that that white people realized it would be better for them not to be racist now. And so we gave up, but really letting black people vote is part of our crafty plan <laughs> part of our crafty plan exactly right and so that that's basically what those ideas mean and that's not a stretch that's that is verbatim what is you know but what is in the text frogs being gay is a conspiracy theory <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so then the two that you know and you love microaggressions and intersectional theory yeah um of course if you inter- haven't heard go ahead inter- intersectionality is uh, I'm black and a midget, so I'm more important than non-midget black people. Oh, but right. I'm a black midget woman, so I'm even more important than the last. Like, it's this idea that the more oppression categories you tick off based right. on essentialist, essentialist divisions mm-hmm. uh, makes your opinions more sacrosanct, more valid from a critical theory perspective because and they're this is arising something... from an environment of oppression. This is something as like an appreciator of American literature that I just cannot understand because Walt Whitman said it best is that, you know, he said a couple of things. One of my favorite things he said, (laughs) he he did, (laughs) he did. One of my favorite things he said is like, do I contradict myself very well? I contain multitudes. Right. And this was this idea within Walt Whitman that he could walk in any man's shoes. Right. And that he could live out anybody's life and, we have a word for that in the English language. It's called empathy. Right. And the, f- and the fact that people don't realize, like realize that they can't be empathetic. Just the difference between empathy and actually experiencing something. Sometimes there, I- there is such a small difference that it's negligent, uh, oh, you know, negligible, but I would say negligible. I, thank you. I, I would say this too. We don't only have, we don't only have words for that in the English language. We have right. chemicals for that in the human brain. Right, there, and, and sociopaths are, don't. Right, like there, yeah. there's a condition where you, and that doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. It makes you have to work harder to be a good person, I think, and everybody's right. got their cross to bear in that area. But what right. I would say is that we, it is scientifically factual that seeing another person in pain causes the average person distress and this idea that that there's that empathy is a fallacy is one of the most ascientific things that you could possibly say we have we have dedicated circuitry to the function of empathy and Mm -hmm. any mid-tier biologist can tell you that um, yeah. And it's not unique to humans either, by the way, which is one of yeah. the craziest parts. Like you're effectively saying that we are subhuman in our ability to connect with other uh, other uh, members of our species, whereas we've developed language and uh, a multitude of languages and mm-hmm. sign languages and uh, facial gestures and social norms, all these things that we do to interact to a higher degree than any animal we could even conceive of. And yet... There's the, one of the central tenets of, of critical theory is em- empathetic fallacy. I'll say this mm. too, just in case you think that we are ascribing ill motives to the opposition here. These are not 
just things that we are ascribing to critical race theory. Uh, Richard Delgado is a professor at the University of Alabama. He's wrote some of the leading papers on critical race theory in the modern age. And John Stefanik, they together wrote a paper and documented everything that we just said as the major themes of critical race theory. Right. So this is not this is not a Smoke smear in any way. We are telling right. you what they say about themselves. Right. Yeah. This is. This is it verbatim. This is not a joke. Um, and so another way that this all kind of pours out, and this is obvious, is because since there is a racist America, then there is such a thing as unconscious bias, right? Yeah. And implicit associations, uh, right? And so I think we, I don't know if we've talked about those in the past. Maybe we need to go look at the episodes and check, but I mean, it's worth the it, day- bears repeating. Everything about it is just wrong. The people who study that and created the implicit association test said it's not true, said it doesn't match their data, says how it's being used doesn't work with what they said. Um, Do people make implicit associations? Yes. Do those implicit associations ever, ever, or actually I should say it, 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 there's not enough evidence to actually bear that out. And then even more importantly, even if they do, they do not affect their behavior in any meaningful way. So, so it, it was uh, Mazarin Banerjee and Anthony Greenwald were kind of shoot. the two of the off- authors of um, the implicit associations test incarnate and then some of its follow-ups. And, and they're mm-hmm. built, the implicit associations test is built on this idea of unconscious bias, which is a completely... Uh, it's completely derived from the idea of critical theory, which is that there's inherent racism. It's inescapable. It exists in the heart of all white people and uh, we can't get away from it. And so uh, what they do is they create this test where you basically click on things and it, you associate. It'll good say words good and they'll have a white face and, and a black face. Yeah. And, and it's supposed to trick you. Um, it does not stand up to even the most moderate scientific scrutiny. It's not repeatable. Right. It has a regression, depending on the meta-analysis that you do, it has a, a regression of a 0. 0.35, a right. negative the, 0. Just, 0.35. Just, just to help people with, with what Christopher's saying, if you're not tracking with it, a test is a good test if you take it multiple times and you get basically the same grade. Now right. we know that the test is testing for something. Um what, he, what he's saying is, and that's why IQ and SAT tests are so good, is because they actually prove something. They, they right? predict. They predict. Well, that's a good way to say and, it. And regression is a statistical measurement of how well yes. you are predicting and and how valid the test seems to be. So, like, if we took ten people and they all took the test, and the most biased one uh, in one sample. Uh, took the test again and he was the least biased one, you would consider that a regression of zero. There's no regression mm-hmm. there. Um, however, a, a good sociological, psychological study typically looks for a regression about 0.8. And and the implicit associations test has a regression from anywhere between 0.35 and 0.55, basically saying that it barely meets, it, it, it does not meet the standard for a predictive test, what that would suggest is that there is an outside factor that is more, uh, is more useful at explaining the phenomena that you're looking at than the one that you're measuring is effectively what that would tell any, any sociologist worth their salt. Not only that, but there's no connection between the measurement 
of your implicit bias and taking any actions based on this bias. Right. And that's what this is what's so incredibly frustrating about it is back in 2013 when Greenwald and Banerjee published a study, they said, yes, this can let you predict um, unconscious biased behavior. And they got completely shellacked by the the scientific community because this there was no evidence for that. It was just a claim they were making. And so then right. in 2015, Greenwald and Banerjee both retracted that and said, no, we're wrong. You can't use the test to, to prove out any actions. And since then, very recently, as recently as 2018, Greenwald has come back out and said, no, wait, actually you can again, based on no new research. So it's, it's just a completely Bizarre. garbage study scientifically. Going back to the Joe Biden thing for a minute, this is the party of science. I mean, right. and one of the things that, one of the reasons that we want to point out the implicit association test and unconscious bias as a, uh, as an example, is because this is probably the one that you experience in your day to day life. I'm sure if right. you work for a major corporation that you or, or go to a uh, a public university that you have encountered the idea of unconscious, unconscious bias, bias if not been asked to take an IAT yourself. Right. And so exactly. this is one of the ways that you know the postmodernism, neo Marxism, deconstructionism, critical theory got shipped over into the American university. And the unconscious bias test is one of the first ways that it started escaping the walls of the scholastic institution into yeah. Main Street and Wall Street. And that is uh, a huge problem because now you've got the majority of companies kowtowing to this theory that's based on uh, effectively well wishes by people who were sad that Marxism died a cruel death in the latter half of the 20th century. And uh, it, it, there's no scientific basis. So the whole while we're being told that the party of science believes that global warming will actually change anything in four years. They're right. also part of their central tenet of their platform is pushing this nonsense messaging. So it's, a, yeah. it's important to know what you're dealing with when you're encountering these types of, these types of trainings. If you search for unconscious bias in business articles, things like Forbes, Fast Company, Business Insider, those kinds of things, you see article after article after article doing one of two things. One would be explaining why so many places implement unconscious bias training and their their race relations in their place of business actually get worse and yep, why that that's happens. Absolutely true. And then the other half of the articles are explain are making excuses for why that happened. Because you mm -hmm. didn't do it correctly, or you didn't do it nice enough, or the instructor might have not been a person of color. All kinds of insane, un unbelievably archaic, mystic, pagan... Proselytizing. Yeah, it, it's a religious fervor. It has nothing to do with right. scientific fact. And so... Right. This is this is uh, I think it's so important to bring this up as a point because this kind of takes the history and the concepts and pr brings them out into the real world. Yeah, I think I think I think that's so good, Chris. I think you know you and me have some stories about this in our real lives about where this has come up and all that, and we're, we're getting near the end of the hour. But I, I'd I'd like to read you something. And yep. I want to, I want to, I want to qualify this a lot before I read that. This came out at the end of that video I saw, uh, where that PhD student basically had posted her project to YouTube. Mm -hmm. I, I just want to say I, I don't know who this person is. I don't know who she's representative of. I don't know a lot of things about this. But the idea was to give you an overview of critical race theory, which it did. It matches everything out that's out there. It called out the people who are, you know, the the people in charge of this theory. You know, it, it, there's some reason to believe that whoever wrote, whoever put this video together, knows what they're talking about. Um, 
that being said, it, it, um, also received 45,000 views. So it's, it's at least in the consciousness of a, a good amount of people. So mm-hmm. I think that all lends to some of its validity, but I want to just couch that. I don't know exactly what it is. I want to read you the poem. Uh, there's a live reading of a poem that was put at the end of the presentation. Um, the poem comes from Amiri Baraka, and I just want to lead you the last stanza um, from this. It's called uh, Why Is We Americans? And Strong start, the, Mark Twain. Yeah, smart, strong, strong start, Mark Twain. And the entire bit of this is that um, he's extremely angry at what you could call a white elite class and the sins they've perpetrated throughout America, Mm -hmm. okay? From taking land, from how they have oppressed black people, um, all the things you can think of that fall into that category are in this poem, okay? Mm -hmm. At the end of it, he basically puts forward some demands that are pretty substantial reparations. He wants us to give land back to Mexico and some other things along those lines. And this is supposed to be like, you know, I would say, here's what critical race theory is. And then here is the, here is the critical theory narrative icing on top of the cake is how I feel like this video was structured. You see what I'm trying to get at there? And so this is the end of that, the end of that video or the last stanza of the poem. Then we can talk about being American. Then we can listen. Then we can listen without the undercurrent of desire to first set your explicative on fire. We will only talk a voluntary unity of autonomy as vective arms of self-determination. If there is democracy in you, that is where it will be shown. This is the only way we as Americans, this is the only truth that can be told. Otherwise, there is no future between us but war. And we, as rather lovers and singers and dancers and poets and drummers and actors and runners and elegant heartbeats of the sun's flame, but we is also to the end of our silence and sit down. We is at the end of being under your ignorant smell, your intentional hell. Either give us our lives or plan to forfeit your own. Okay, so first things first. Is there, has there ever been anything more self-congratulating than poetry? I like a lot of poetry, but I, I, the self-importance that drips from every line of yeah. a lot of modern poetry disgusts me outright. Okay, moving on. Moving on. And this is why this is so important, because I think yeah. we should just end the show with this. Yeah, I'll go. There is... I hope we've done a good job at explaining where this came from, how it caught to us, how it spread throughout academia and now how it's being shipped out into the culture but that the the implicit associations test is not where this ends and there are so many elements of critical race theory that are affecting the things that are happening today every bit of violence we've talked about for the past week uh blm and there are articles of confederation (laughs) explaining their Mm -hmm. list of demands the idea that reparations are anything other than an inherent evil uh the the bolstering of Antifa who are redefining the, the essentialist categories as they see fit to do battle with supposed enemies that hold the same ideology 
the same ideology that they have been bought into rebranded over the past 60 years these these individuals who are are causing unrest in the streets who no longer believe in science who no longer believe in fact are right are pervasive throughout the culture and we've made a huge mistake we on the right i think we've made a huge mistake and even just those who like liberalism and like the western ideology and believe that things such as freedom freedom of speech freedom to self-defense that free enterprise as much as we've ever tried it have made Hmm. america one of the greatest no not one of the greatest country on the face of planet earth that acknowledge the fact that we have pulled more people of every tree uh tribe creed tongue color out of abject poverty into a a a glorious triumph over nature that's beset us on all sides to to those of us who hold those ideals dear this runs in the face of all the progress that we've made over the past Call it 200 years, and I know that things weren't perfect way back then, but this story that we started together um, in 1776, not 1619. Hey, that's another example right there. The 1619 right. Project is a exercise yes. in critical race theory incarnate. They think that this will bring them to the utopia. This is what your children are being sold in school. This is what mm-hmm. your coworkers are being sold at work. And this is what you are being sold on the mainstream media when they carry water for these evil terrorist organizations that are, are flooding our streets. This is what the politicians in Washington and the governors in California and Seattle and Michigan and Chicago, and Chicago are, are selling you when they pitch i should have said illinois because that was a state too when they pitch to you that the protesters at this point have a legitimate reason to be on the street Mm -hmm. you know there's this insane thing that happened and i I promise i'm getting to a point there's this insane sleight of hand that took place in the mainstream media over the past two weeks where a study comes out that says 97 percent of the black lives matter protests have been peaceful is that acceptable to you right that's an insane metric that's like saying I, I only punch seven people out of the 100 I cross in the street. Right. Do you understand how stupid that sounds? Right. And, and I, you're, you're telling me that the, the ethos of the group is nonviolent? I, I challenge you to do this. I challenge you to find one of the most violent people in history that did not, that, that, that attacked, assaulted more than 7% of the people that they met. I challenge yeah. you to do that. Yeah. It, it's just not true. This is a violent ethos. It is a violent, violent ideology that infects people's minds and makes them wish for the destruction of the West. And that is not me putting words in their mouth. That is no. exactly what these professors are saying. That's exactly what these uh, CEOs have are saying to a certain extent, depending on which one you talk to. It's exactly what some of our politicians are saying, that we have to defund the police force and dismantle private property um, and siding with news outlets and organizations that are willing to do that. This is exactly mm. what BLM and Antifa are doing. They do not want the West to continue as it is currently incarnated. And, and you know, someone like Jordan Peterson would say that the West might, or the, the Western institution, the Western Academy might be too far gone to ever, to ever recover. We, we might have lost it for that long. These people have been 
deliberately attacking the fundamentals that made America an exceptional place since the 1970s in this country and longer than that over in France and Germany. And it is, it is astonishing to me that we are, we're complacent in the face of such a, a damned ideology. Let me tell you what this ideology will actually do. Reparations will not bring in the utopia. Everybody reading White Fragility will not bring, bring in the utopia. Everybody going to your college class or your work training seminar and saying that I confess to my own sin of whiteness will not bring in the utopia. It will only make things worse. Great example. And maybe we'll close. I, I've got one more place I want to go after this. But the National Museum of African American History and Culture recently published an infographic. And the infographic was the epitome of critical theory. It was talking about how America is steeped in white culture and what the aspects of white culture were and why... What could this be? It's amazing. And why this was evidence of implicit, unconscious bias, systemic racism, and the like. Was it pointy hats? <laughs> no. Oh. I'm just going to read to you some of the bullet points from this infographic that they describe as white culture. Yeah. A nuclear family with a father and a mother and 2.3 okay. children. That's very white. Basically saying that that's not, that black people. Black people can't have that. Right. And just, just read this whole infographic that way that they're saying these are yeah. the things that are white. Objective, rational, linear thinking. Yeah, I've never met a Chinese person that can do that. Yeah, do you do you understand it's how so racist? It, it's and and I have uh, lots of black friends. Dog whistle, so racist that that are very clear thinkers. And, and mm. but the national the, when, when people buy into this sickness, they right. are it's the soft bigotry of low expectation. Yeah, cause yeah. and effect yeah. relationships and an emphasis on the scientific method. Black people can't do science. <laughs> Somebody call Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, right, we need to let him know. He's been he's been getting in our turf. Well, listen, <laughs> turns out, yeah, hard work is the key to success. Are you oh kidding God. me? Are you? That's so and, and rude. this is this is this is a group that is sold out to a, a vision of critical theory, which which by the way, critical race theory also includes uh, non-white supremacist movements. By the way, it's one of the central tenets that we didn't really touch on as well. Um, mm. How about this? Time. White people follow rigid time schedules, a.k.a. black people can't show up to work on time. Have, have, they, uh, have they met my wife? <laughs> I, I don't even know what that... Oh, okay. I see. You're going the other <laughs> way. I'm with you. Anyhow, yeah. this is what it actually leads to. It actually leads to the castration of the efficacy yeah. of yeah. your so of the, the very populations that you think that you're trying to help. Right, right, right. Well, this is this is this is why you while you were kind of talking through this, the thing that kept coming to my mind was if you tell everybody that they're never going to make it, if you tell everybody that there is no way out, if you tell everybody that racism is there forever and it's only something that the oppressor can do to the victim, white to the black. Mm -hmm. Then, then why wouldn't you go out into the street and burn cop cars? Right. Then why wouldn't you walk up on police officers and shoot them in cold blood like we talked about earlier? 
Yeah. Like, and then that's go, a good strategy. Go, go to the hospital and try and keep them from, from recovering. Right. That's a good strategy if that's what you believe. Like, if I believe that was actually how things were going on, like, I would have to seriously consider adopting that strategy because that strategy matches the belief, right? It matches yeah. what that, and so, and so, like, uh, let me let me make sure that we're being very procedural about this. If sure. black people are actually endangered on mass yes. at the hands of white people, then there's then it's time for insurrection. But it's just simply Correct. not the case. Correct. Yeah, and I think. I think this kind of makes so much more sense too. And at the end of that stanza that I just read you, um, I just I think this is just so mind-boggling. But the entire room applauded and cheered, right? And now I don't know a lot of things there, but I want I want to say and. There are rooms of white people that you can walk into and say something horrendously racist and people will applaud and cheer. Mm -hmm. So it's not so I, I don't know what that means. But what I am telling you is that 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 exists. Yeah. Right. And if that exists, it affects things just like white supremacy affects things. Right. You know, there are there are all these little things that happen. And I think I think what's so obvious here is like. If there's any white supremacist gathering or rioting that occurs, everybody, their mom, their dog, the dustmites living in their home all condemn it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's going on with these riots, man? What's going on here? You What's know, going on here? It's clear to see who has, it's clear to see which one has, you could call it the moral high ground, but I would say it's like the, the moral water carrying. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. I think we've explained why this idea is, is farcical on its face uh -huh. uh, and untenable for a society or body politic to instantiate. I want to mm -hmm. end on just this. Let's do it. And I'm going to talk to the Christians that are listening right now, because quite frankly, we have seriously dropped the ball in this area. Yeah, this is exactly what I believe. And so if you don't care about this, skip ahead a couple minutes. But something needs to be said. The leaders of our churches and the members within are so concerned with being a part of this world, with being engaged in a utilitarian conversation with this world, that we have allowed an evil ideology to infect the church and make us incompetent and ineffective. Yeah. There is nothing further from the biblical justice and scripture uh, surrounding topics of right and wrong and get giving and getting what is deserved. There's nothing further from that than critical theory. So I'm going to challenge you right now. If you are a Christian or you call yourself a Christian and you believe in critical theory, critical race theory, if you believe in ideas such as white privilege, if you believe in ideas such as white fragility, and you think that those are a factor in the modern American life, let me just ensure you that there is nothing less Christ-like than treating people as guilty 
right. and passing judgment on them based I on the agree. color of their skin and not the content yeah. of their character. Yeah. There is yeah, nothing yeah, yeah. more vile than engaging in rhetoric that that places the wisdom of man over the justice of a holy God. Mm. And there are so many pastors... There, Hunter, what were you telling me about, about the... Was it the Southern Baptist Convention? Yeah. Uh, thanks for putting me on the spot. I totally, totally, totally know this, and I'm not afraid to answer it at all. Basically, I believe it was in 2019, the Southern Baptist Convention um, decided to rule that critical race theory was going to be used in like their education for their employees and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they just like adopted it as a useful, a, a useful set of tenets. Yeah. So let me, let me, I'll just put it this way. And, and you know, we are critical of Trump on this show. Why is Trump more, more Christ-like in this area than your pastor? Why is, because Trump just condemned that Trump is pulling it out by the roots. Why is Trump, who thinks two Corinthians is a book of the Bible? Why is he? <laughs> why is he more ready to confront sin right now in this area than you are? Yeah. Are you? Do you fear God or do you fear man? Because one thing you can say about Trump is that he doesn't fear man. He doesn't fear anybody. Yeah, he, he, I, he should fear some people, but, but he doesn't. But but why? Why is he calling this to the carpet and your pastor won't? I think if you're in a church, and I've I've done this, I've done this a lot. If you're in a church that isn't getting this right, it's your duty to speak up. Absolutely. If you're in a church that if you see a brother or sister who's not getting this right, it's your job to have a conversation with them. Um, I can tell you just about from every single conversation I've had, and this this could be user error, undoubtedly. You know, I don't necessarily lose that friendship, but I don't necessarily keep that friendship. It's, it's impossible in a certain sense when you can't speak the same language. Right. And I think not for lack of trying, not for trying to like understand where that person is coming from and not for listening to their arguments and anything like that. Um, but actually trying to engage in dialect leads us to nowhere. And there's a way out of that, man. That's not the end of that story. And I think, I think it's incumbent upon people to continue to have those conversations if nothing else than to provide cover for everybody who 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 sees the truth on that Mm -hmm. you know and just 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 so that if if you're in a room of 50 people and one person is dominating it with this narrative and the other 49 people won't speak out about it you have to yeah right and even if they all point at you and go oh my god look at that crazy guy Mm -hmm. you know or Be call careful. you a racist, or maybe they'll say that you're hanging out with tax collectors, or maybe they'll right. say you're hanging out with loose women. Do the right, right. thing. If you don't take our right. word for it's it, it's a moral indictment here. If you don't take our word for it, Google John MacArthur critical race theory. He published an article about it, and he couldn't be more right. He couldn't be more okay. right. Okay, that's the show, and it's we've been so happy this time. <laughs> I've been so surprised by how happy we are. I'm glad the front half was at least what I uh, what I perceived as funny while we were recording it because this stuff yeah. sucks. Um, it does suck. Okay. Anyhow, uh, can we sign up on our website to get all of our critical race theory tests and quizzes and yeah. indoctrination 
um, communist struggle sessions sent to your door. Hunter, for, um, for real, we should put we should put an implicit associations test on our website. Only it's pictures of you and me instead oh of Oh my god, that's really funny. <laughs> that's really funny. People are gonna be really, really brotherist. Brotherist. <laughs> that would be awesome. It's a good word, right? Yeah, yeah, that's actually a great idea. I love it. Let's just call our coding friends. The show's Carl Pulling. You can email us at carlpulling at gmail.com. We have a website, carlpulling.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at uh, Carl Pulling. You can follow me at Emotional Carl. You can follow Chris at Chris X Carl. We're on Twitter and Instagram with those handles. Uh, rate the show if you listen to it on iTunes. If you listen to it on Spotify or Google Play, rate the show on iTunes. Um, those other ones don't exist. I don't care what Joe Rogan's doing. He's a joke. Get on my level, Joe. And uh, anything else we tell him? In this spot? Uh, I think yeah. that's it. Buy our supplements, you idiots. Yeah, FNX, thanks Sorry. for sponsoring the show. Um, Sorry for idiot, saying you're an idiot. Some. Don't be an idiot. That's their slogan, not that's mine. <laughs> I didn't make it up for them. Quickest. We're going for quickest sponsor drop of all time. And, we're uh, trying real hard. Uh, mm, there's one other thing. Uh, oh, get tested. Get <laughs> tested.